Hi, it's Luba and Roma, and you're listening to the Arctic Institute's Bookshelf Podcast. In this podcast, we talk to scholars and experts about their work and new publications to make the Arctic easy and accessible to everybody. So tune in and join our in-depth conversations that take you beyond the headlines and right into the latest ideas, challenges and the nitty-gritty of Arctic research. With us this week, we have Andras Rasputnik. Andras is a good friend, colleague and senior fellow at the Arctic Institute, where he's also part of the leadership group. He's a senior fellow at the High North Centre at Norway University in Bordeaux in northern Norway, and he works at the Fridjof Nansen Institute in Oslo. Andras also holds a joint PhD in political science from the University of Cologne in Germany and the University of Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. Andreas, thank you so much for accepting our invitation. Um, how are you doing these days? Uh, I'm doing all right. I mean, you know, I, I'm happy to talk to you guys about the most important actor, actor in the world, or in the Arctic, let's put it <laughs> that way. Sorry. I don't want to make it bigger <laughs> than it actually is. Great, great. As a first question, could you describe the room you're in right now and the view from your window? as accurately as possible, so uh, to give our listeners a view of your life, a glimpse of your life. A glimpse of my life. Um, I'm actually in the Arctic country of Austria right now in my office, home office, um, in the very south of Austria. So if I look outside that window, I'm actually seeing very cloudy mountains facing um, Slovenia. So I'm actually back home where I grew up, um, bordering Italy and Slovenia, that three-border area of Austria, um, which I think is one of the most amazing places you could be in Europe, um, you know, contemporary history-wise with regard to First World War areas and everything related to the Balkans and uh, et cetera, these things. So that's where I am right now, back home. That sounds really nice, and it would be very interesting to visit you someday there and learn more about that. And uh, Maybe now you could tell us more about um, your professional background, uh, where you studied, what you do, uh, when and how you became interested in the Arctic research. How do I get started with the Arctic? I, In a nutshell, I, I did a, what's then called an Austrian Magister, so the earlier form of today's uh, master um, before the Bologna process, if people know what that is, um, in Vienna. And I did my Erasmus year in Oslo back in 2007. And when I came back from Oslo, I had to start uh, doing research on my master thesis. And I was like, ah, what could you work on, you know, in Austria when it comes to you know, doing research on whatever kind of master related uh, topic? So I, I thought, ah, oh, I was in Oslo and nobody really cares about Norway and Austria or cares, cares that much about Scandinavian or Northern issues in, in Central Europe. So I thought that might be a smart idea to, to work on something Norway related. And then you did some initial research and that was back in 2007. And people in the Arctic world know what happened in 2007 when it comes to or whatever you call it, Arctic geopolitics. So you had the infamous Russian flag planting, you had COI's uh, um, melting records uh, that year. Uh, so, you know, it was very hip 
kind of to to deal with the Arctic. Uh, it, you know, it was all over German Austrian news. Um, you know, the Arctic as a, a new new Cold War area, potential new Cold War area, you know, where the superpowers of the world meet and fight over resources and whatever. So I think that was a very tempting starting point for a young person, you know, interested in research or academia as such. So I, I decided to work on, uh, to do something Arctic related with regard to energy in that regard. So I, I in my master thesis back in Vienna, I, I wrote on the on Norway's high north policy uh, with regard to energy issues in, you know, the Barentsy area, Svalbard and all these issues. So I, I jumped a bit into the international law of the sea, domestic Norwegian policy, all that stuff. Um, afterwards, I, I moved to Brussels to work for the European Parliament or for an Austrian MEP at the European Parliament. And during that time, I thought like, ah, that, you know, Brussels is a semi-nice city, but I'm, you know, sorry, Roma, but I'm, I'm not interested in staying in, in Brussels for that long. So um, I, I, you know, I've tried to figure out what do after, what I could potentially do after that job. And I found this LLM program in, in Tromsø on the law of the sea in the Arctic and, you know, doing Erasmus in Norway, I thought like, ah, Norway's a nice place. Let's go back there. And I decided to do a, a second master at that point and applied for the law of the sea program in Tromsø. And I got in and, you know, I moved up to Tromsø in 2010. August 2010 to start the LLM and I think it was the best decision uh, when it comes to my research life. I really enjoyed uh, working on that topic. Uh, you know, after being a political scientist, I really enjoyed doing international law because it's, I thought it's, you know, more to the point that the very abstract fluffy thing we often do in political science. So um, and, uh, we had to decide then, of course, to write a master thesis again and after a year there and I found a cool topic. I looked at UNCLOS's article 234 and uh, how Canada's NUREG regulations, which is some vessel trafficking, traffic service regulations covering the Northwest Passage, you know, is, you know, how it, it's kind of applicable with uh, UNCLOS's 234, article 234. And I had a great um, supervisor with Eric Molina, who yeah, I, I really enjoyed working on that master thesis. And um, while, you know, working on that master thesis, you know, you had to apply for jobs and all that, you know, fun stuff you have to do after finally leaving university. And I applied for many jobs. And one of the jobs I applied for was uh, being a research fellow at the University of Cologne um, in some three-year fund, EU-funded program on EU foreign affairs or EU foreign external action, how it was called. And I actually got the position, um, but part of the position was like doing a PhD. <laughs> and, you know, when I was done with my master thesis, I thought like, oh, never again, I'll write on something, you know, more than a hundred pages. It's, it's, it's painful and yeah, research is like, you're totally on your own. And you know, I, 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 I thought I, I don't want to do that anymore. Anyways, you know. You have a job, you get a job, you know, you're happy that somebody is actually like satisfied with your CV and wants to hire you. So I decided to move to Cologne when I got the job. Um, and then when I had the, my first real meeting with the, the professor, I worked, um, Professor Vessels from the Chaumonet chair, like an EU chair in political science, European studies at the University of Cologne. Um, I told him, yeah, I'll, I'll do a PhD, but um, only if it's Arctic related, you know, I, 
I've done quite some Arctic research now. I think it's a really interesting topic. Nobody cares about the Arctic really outside that Arctic bubble we are in. So I think that could be interesting. And because, you know, I worked for an EU chair um, or a, a chair that, you know, discussing or working EU studies, you know, I had to involve the EU. Uh, at that point, nobody, I've not seen any publications at that point that discussed the EU in the Arctic. So I thought like, okay, that could be, you know, exactly what people ask you for, you know, to find a new and uh, non -dis non yet discussed topic in your research or in your PhD. And I thought like, oh, let's deal with the EU in the Arctic. And that's what I did starting from 2011 onwards. And ever since, um, actually, you know, the, I'm a huge fan of the, the, the European idea or the idea of, uh, you know, the idea of the European Union, you know, you can always discuss, you know, if the EU is the right format and what you can change or how you can make it better. Um, but, you know, that the topic really grew to me. And I think I, I know quite a bit about the EU in the Arctic and what's going on there and what their interests are and what their problems are and their issues are. And, yeah, that's what I've done in a nutshell since 2007. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. You, you really seem to be passionate by by your research topic and fast forward a little a few years ago your research culminated in a book called the european union and the geopolitics of the arctic with uh, edward elgar and I, I guess we'll put a link in the show notes for for listeners interested in re in reading it and you've also published countless articles on the on the topic um could you perhaps summarize the idea be, be behind these research publication and reflect on on the EU's involvement in the Arctic a bit. I mean, the book is essentially a, a shorter version of my PhD. You know, you you write a PhD and you need to deal with a lot of methodology and theory. And then when you publish a book, you know, the publishing house tells you we're not interested in methodology and theory, so <laughs> delete all that stuff and you know only focus on the empirics. So the, the book is essentially you know um, a shorter version of my PhD and. I mean, in a nutshell, what I tried to do in my PhD and then book was like, again, when if you look back to 2007, there was a lot of, or there has always been a lot of talks about Arctic geopolitics and what it is, you know. So and I'm, I, I personally think, you know, you can debate the term and the concept geopolitics, but I think it's an interesting, you know, starting point to, con, you know, to look at both geography and politics and international relations. So I always found geopolitics a very interesting field of research. And... Based on that, and then also looking like you're reading a bit into critical geopolitics, you know, where they talk about how, could the European Union be a geopolitical actor? Because it's in a very strict sense, you know, geopolitics is a lot about strategy and military and all that things, you know, and the EU, as we all know, uh, you know, it's no military power, etc., etc. So the idea was really, okay, could I look at the EU as a geopolitical actor using the Arctic and maybe the Arctic geopolitics, whatever it is, as, as a case study. So um, the idea was like kind of twofold, you know, in a way like looking at how the EU creates some kind of Arcticness, you know, in Brussels and like some kind of legitimacy being an Arctic actor. But then on the other hand, also looking at can the EU actually be, you know, characterized or be named and titled as an, a geopolitical actor. So that was actually the idea behind the PhD and then the book. Um, I mean, to all the young researchers out there, in a nutshell, it was very painful, you know, to 
to work interdisciplinary because a lot of people, you know, like everyone in research tells you, you know, you have to be interdisciplinary. And then, but if you actually do work interdisciplinary, then people fall back in, you know, old traps and like, but why did you do it that way? You know, I try to, you know, use critical geopolitics in a very political science, uh, use studies related environments. So that was a challenge itself, but um, I think it was a lot of fun in it. And, you know, you can always, I mean, that's what research is about. You can always debate findings and approaches and methodologies. So that was more the research part. And then when it comes to the actually the EU and the Arctic, I mean, if we look back, the first communication was in, the starting point was really in 2008, you know, so you can always say people started to work on the Arctic in 2007, you know, during that time when the Arctic, the Arctic actually became a bit more prominent uh, in global headlines as well. So, um, and ever since then, I mean, my, my, my short summary about the EU and the Arctic is like, do you try to create what I said before, like some kind of Arcticness, you know, like both inside and outside the EU, like inside really like, okay, convince other actors within the EU system and other individuals that the EU as a global actor should also be involved in Arctic affairs. And then on the other hand, also convince Arctic actors that despite EU member states being Arctic actors, also the EU as a supranational uh, entity should also be involved in Arctic affairs. So um, that's more or less what the EU tries to do in a nutshell for more than 10 years, you know, with, I think, rather rather successfully. I mean, they always, you know, step forwards and steps back. Um, and, you know, it's um, the EU is always an, what do you call it in English, uh, a welcome enemy for a lot of people, you know, to criticize, you know. Um, but overall, I think um, that's more or less um, what the EU has been doing in the Arctic, you know, like determining on why. Europe as a bigger entity should be involved in Arctic affairs, what it could bring to the Arctic governance table, you know, and it's a lot about research and funding, but also a lot about, you know, the EU as a, a global actor with regard to environmental protection mechanism and sustainable development, all, all these issues. And, yeah. Um, and all related research is based on, on that, you know, it's based on, we just often, I often co-author articles um I co-authored one article with you, Romain, and I, I do a lot of work with our good friend Andreas Ostergen, but also um, my very good friend Adam Stepien from the University of Lapland, you know, on broad issues of use, the use Arcticness, you know, like inside Brussels, you know, like how do different institutions in Brussels, you know, see the Arctic and see their Arctic role within the EU system, but then also like how do other states well, think about the Arctic, uh, the EU in the Arctic, and uh, you know everything related to that, more or less. You know. uh, thank you so much, Andreas, for so many interesting reflections, actually, and uh, maybe talking about the inside of the EU and the whole policymaking scene. You know, um, it's a such dynamic network environment, especially the CU quarter in Brussels, and I wonder, like, how easy or how hard. It's been to engage in these Arctic talks, you know, and advocate the changes which are needed based on the res these research findings, like your own research findings and uh, those of your colleagues. Do you have any uh, any thoughts to share about that? Yeah, definitely. I, actually, I, I think um, it's a great question because I was asked a similar thing 
so going back to my PhD, as I said before, I was funded by a research framework seven program on you know analyzing EU's external actions. It was called Exact, and the University of Cologne was actually uh, behind that as one of the lead partners. And you know we had our final conference of the three years in Brussels. You know, and one of the questions was really like, how easy was it for us young researchers? You know to actually, you know, talk to commission officials, to officials action and action service, EU parliamentarians, et cetera, et cetera, you know. And, you know, some some of my colleagues had the difficulties to reach out to, you know, people working on certain issues or really get the feedback they wanted. And I always thought, like, you know, the Arctic being such a niche in Brussels, you know, only a few people working on these issues, you know, I, I found it super easy to get in touch with these people, to meet them over... Like, meet them again and again over all these years, you know. Also, when I think they started to realize that my intent doing research was not like to, you know, kind of backstab them or whatever, but try to, you know, create some a neutral objective uh, analysis of what you is doing, you know. And I, I really got fond of a lot of people working in the EU sphere on the Arctic because you meet them over and over. I mean, you know it... Very well as well, you know, and the Arctic is a bubble and the Arctic research is a super bubble. So you meet people again and again at various conferences all over Europe, or all over the world. Um, so meeting also these officials, you know, and get to know them better and, you know, them providing you certain information, which you also think like, oh, yeah, maybe you should not, you know, reveal this information. But they're, they're nice background information for whatever you do. Um, I found working on that topic and then also like trying to engage in deeper discussions about uh, the Arctic, not only like, you know, me getting some information out of them on what the EU is doing, but also like, okay, what could the EU potentially also do, you know, and also to be a better accepted Arctic stakeholder actor, like what, what are future Arctic challenges, you know, um, I think... I think there's, I really enjoyed doing that, and I, um, I hope I will continue to do that for you know, a longer period. Uh, that's great to hear that, and I wonder if you noticed any change in the narrative about the Arctic within the EU in the past uh, several years. Uh, I know that in one of your articles you talk about the, the difficulty of developing the very like good, you know, <laughs> uh, convincing EU Arctic narrative and the fact that you kind of lags behind that it's always on the same like high level and um, talk. So, do you have any any um, views on that? Reflections. I mean, the, the the starting point is like every how do you call it institutional actor and like you know it's a lot of individuals working on that. We always see all these institutions, be it ministries or be it the EU in that case, like the commission, the parliament, is a very abstract building. But of course, the individuals working on this topic, and these individuals have to, to some extent, you know, more interest in a topic or lesser interest in a topic. And um, what I found very interesting that the more people are personally engaged with the topic, you know, that has a, a meaningful and deeper impact, you know, on the policy as such. You know? So... Um, um, with the EU, you could definitely see only that's my my experience. I mean, there was a learning experience, you know, with like all of us, you know, in the Arctic of 2008. Um, it's not the Arctic of today, you know. I mean, 
a lot of the discussion back in 2008 was, you know, um, influenced by uh, a few foreign affairs article or something like that on how the the Arctic is the new, uh, you know, arena for the, the next Cold War. And I think that had an impact on some kind of policies. And but I mean, there was a learning experience over the last decade on what the EU could actually do in the Arctic and what, you know, different institutional actors could actually provide to the Arctic discussion. Um, with regard to the narrative, I mean, one always needs to be careful as well. I mean, we are very strict sometimes, especially Adam Stepien and I, you know, saying like there's no narrative behind. But I mean, everyone in the Arctic, you know, be it in Norway or Canada or wherever, you know, needs to realize that the Arctic as a topic, as a region, is a niche in Brussels. I mean, there are way more important issues in Brussels than than the Arctic and the challenges in the Arctic. Um, and I, th I think that if you start from that premise and that you know that starting point, um, everything is you know relative on on what the EU is developing. I think the people working on the Arctic within Brussels, they do an exceptional job in trying to create a very nuanced approach to the issue, you know, like really uh, creating, uh, developing knowledge on, on, on what you could actually bring to the Arctic table in a meaningful way, not like saying, okay, we want to bring research funding or whatever it is, but really like say, okay, we could help here and there and there. And I, I think that's a very honest approach to that, um, keeping in mind that, you know, we have a new commission since last year and the Arctic is not on their agenda. You know, even there, there's talk about the Green Deal or whatever it is. So um, based on that, um, I think everything the EU does, you know, needs to be considered from that starting point. Thanks, Andy. And reading your research and, and what you've just said, it also seems that the EU is, a, is in a unique position in the Arctic. The Arctic is both an internal issue with Sweden and Finland as member states, but also an external issue, for example, engaging with neighbours such as Russia or building relations at the Arctic Council. And, and going back to what you said about uh, creating a coherent Arctic narrative, how could the EU actually manage to create such a, a coherent identity and policy with all these different perspectives in the region? I wonder if the EU is a unique in a unique position there. I mean, if you look, for example, at Canada, they have Arctic policies that are, you know, that are targeting an, a domestic audience, and then of course you have also like a foreign pol policy related Arctic. And I think every Arctic state has that to some extent, you know. Um, but you're totally correct. I mean, the interesting thing about the EU is here that you have this exceptional international actor, you know. Romain, you're a lawyer, you know, the sui generis, you know, uh, form of the EU. Um, from that starting point, then you have these internal aspects with Finland and Sweden and this very interesting Denmark-Greenland uh, Denmark relationship. Then you have Norway and Iceland with the European Economic Area Agreement um, relationship. And then you have, uh, you know, external actions with regard to, to Russia or the US and, and Canada. Um, so I, I think that the analysis is a bit like, you know, as always in, in today's world, it's it's not black and white. It's 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 you have to have a nuanced approach to what you could develop in in certain Arctic levels. For example, you know, I mean, we always talk about the you should really focus on their own uh, European Arctic. You know, really discussing 
uh, how to regionally develop maybe you know um, the peripheries of, of Sweden and Finland and but if you look at that only you know then you quickly come to the solution that ah Sweden and Finland are not you know not Arctic states you know uh, not Arctic Ocean uh, coastal states you know and then there's a different Arctic discussion involved you know but then you also have you know the EU's interest, you know, into maritime governance as such, you know, especially pushed by pushed by Director General Maritime Affairs, which is the lead uh, in in the Commission. Um, so there, the focus is, of course, much on fisheries and ocean governance as such. You know. And then you you already step into bigger Arctic uh, discussions beyond the European Arctic, as such. You know, um, so um, I think to really create a narrative is is super difficult. I mean, I will keep on arguing that you should create a narrative, uh, uh, you know, a convincing narrative of why it should be involved in the Arctic, but um, it's extremely difficult. And um, I don't know how you could really develop something as such, you know, but I mean, you need to go step by step and also be honest about yourself. I mean, I think the most um, uh, provoking thing you could always say to Arctic actors, but also to the EU is like the climate change debate, because, you know, there is this argument that, for example, the EU needs to be involved in the Arctic because of climate change. But Romain, you know, uh, we co-authored an article where we are actually, you know, tackling, tackling that question. So, yeah, but if you really want to tackle global climate change, then you don't need to be involved in the Arctic. You, know? you need to tackle it all over the rest of the developed world, you know, but then, then you can, you know, deal with regional climate change effects in the Arctic, you know, but the narrative that, you know, any external Arctic actor or outside Arctic actor needs to be involved in Arctic in the Arctic affairs because of climate change is it's not fully convincing to me. Um, so, yeah, coming back to the narrative, extremely difficult to develop one, um, especially for this sui generis international actor, the EU is, and the various different voices um, coming from Brussels. I mean, again, I'm always very critical with uh, journalists, especially, you know, when I talk about the EU is doing that and that, or the EU is doing that and that. Um, you know, the EU is not the EU, you know, there are very different voices coming from you with different competences. And you need to, you know, be precise on what the EU as a supranational actor actually can do in, in, in any foreign affairs related topics, but also in the Arctic. Thanks. Uh, and thanks, Andy. And thanks for plugging our joint paper. Uh, it's, it, was a, it was great uh, working with you. In another paper published uh, recently and that you co-wrote with uh, Natalia Skripnikova, you talk, you talk about how Russia sees the EU Arctic engagement, or how the EU is seen outside of the EU. Could you talk a bit more on how uh, the, the union is perceived by other actors, such as Russia, for example? Um, yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, I mean, you know, Romain and Luba, the key to success in academia is self-promotion. So <laughs> whenever you are able to promote yourself, do it. Uh, no, took a side. You know, working on EU Arctic issues, you... I actually get a lot of emails from young students that work on, on the topic, you know, that, you know, ask for whatever kind of help. And I've now realized that, you know, a lot of excellent work is out there, you know. And Natalia approached me two years ago at the Heinrich Dialogue in Buda that she's writing on 
Russia's perception and actually Norway's perception of the EU in the Arctic. And if I could help her with her master thesis, and I was happy to do so. And when she eventually came back to me with the final um, um, piece, I thought, like, that's excellent research. And I think you should publish that. And I'm happy to help you and co-author that, but um, give you full credit of your work because, you know, that's, that's your baby and I can be of little help. Um, so much of the research, most of the research on Russia's public perception of the EU and the Arctic was done by Natalia, and I, I was just doing a framework around it. Um, but yeah, the interesting thing is really we don't know much about Canadian, American, Russian, Norwegian in perceptions of the EU and the Arctic. You know, we, we read some newspapers, articles from time to time. I mean, if you work in that uh, field, you you often talk to officials and you have some kind of idea of what some states think about the EU in the Arctic, but uh, for the broader uh, broader public, you know, we don't know much about it. And I think that's um, something really worth, uh, you know, jumping in research-wise. And that was also the case with, you know, Russia in the Arctic. I mean, I'm not the biggest expert on, on, on Russia's Arctic policies, but we all kind of know that Russia as such was very reluctant to, you know, bring outsiders actually into the Arctic and this is changing a bit and with the EU in the Arctic interesting observation is actually that back in 99, 1999 or 1998 it was actually Russia that was uh, pushing for the EU to become an observer at the Arctic Council you know and these things change for obvious you know reasons not related to the Arctic um, uh, and now today we have you know Canada promoting or being pro-EU server status to the Arctic Council, but Russia being against uh, because of, of Ukraine and Crimea. Um, so it, it was interesting to read and dig a bit deeper into what the public media thinks about um, the EU in the Arctic. And again, it, it, the Arctic is a niche. There was, it's not the biggest, it wasn't even the biggest topic in Russian media, the, the EU's Arctic involvement. Um, but it was interesting to read, you know, how that changed over the years and how some have, how some see the, Ar the EU in the Arctic as a, co a partner, a cooperational partner, you know, a, a partner you could work together, which is totally different to, to of course, um, the Eastern neighborhood, uh, some other parts of the world, uh, Syria or something. Um, so that was interesting. I think that also like reflects a bit in public public statements, the few public statements out there, you know, where you, even Russian actors say, you know, um, we should work together with the EU in the Arctic. And the same you hear in Brussels as well, you know, that um, regardless, if you, even if you look at public statements like the global strategy um, by the high representative that you know, we should work together with Russia in some cases and the Arctic is one of these cases. So um, that's also reflected to some extent in, in, in public media, in Russian public media, was it reflected in Russian public media? Actually, it sounds like a great uh, idea for a research topic, you know, for a master thesis or even PhD thesis. And especially, I think, for uh, Russian-speaking um, researchers who are, in, in some cases, actually underrepresented. Uh, and I guess in regards to the EU and the Arctic especially. And, you know, you've been talking about creating a more nuanced approach uh, to understanding the Arctic within the EU and and also like engaging earlier uh, career scientists uh, based on your experience. 
also. And I wonder if the research, research community actually needs to go another way, you know, some, some other way and rather join, I don't know, activist actions or movements to, uh, to raise the awareness or raise, um, uh, its visibility, you know, uh, in the, in Brussels. Do you think that it's, it's, uh, it could be a way forward? It's difficult. I think it's based on the, on, it should be based on each individual. You know, some people are more, you know, the research folks, you know, that like to, to whatever, do research and read and think about, you know, deeper think about issues. Some are more about in the op-ed sky and like to read policy briefs and be on Twitter and, you know, like give interviews, whatever about Arctic topics. And I think it should be the decision of, one of each of us, you know, on what we want to do and what we could bring to the table. And, um, you know, some love to be in the public front and some don't. So I think, um, I don't know if research as such needs to change. What we need to change, I think what I experienced also with research is like, um, the system is, is, is flawed to, you know, some degree in a way, you know, we are really determined or like not determined, we're really like dependent on, on journal articles, articles on publications, and that entire publication system is like sometimes makes you so mad, you know, that when you, you submit something, you get reviews that are, you know, that are not really reviews, that are some other people just lying, you know, trying to to argue for the sake of argument. And all these things we are yeah, constantly um, constantly have to deal with or the entire research funding issue, you know, where we need to look for money in order to do actually our work. So most of research work is actually not doing research, but, you know, applying for projects and, you know, finance your your day-to-day -day job. And then, uh, I mean, I, it, it's a tricky business because on the other hand, you know, we work with public money and um, I always find it difficult to argue of why a hairdresser or a plumber, you know, should uh, finance my work on the, the EU Arctic narratives or something like that. So I, I think it's it's um yeah, it's uh it's not that easy, and um I think we need to be very convincing on why actually we are needed out there and and why we should do what we think it's necessary to do, and then I think that should also be reflected in, in each of us. Uh, what we like as individuals, you know, do we like to be in the public front and give interviews and be activists for a certain thing, you know, try to convince policymakers um, to do that and that, or do we try what I think, what I like more, you know, be, you know, researchers as such, you know, and, and there's no need to always be in the front, you know, and give, you know, right, thousands of op-eds, you know, on the same topic without really doing more and more research on that, you know, I mean, um, as I said before, there are some publications out there now by, by me and then co-authored with others on the UNI Arctic, but at some point you often ask yourself, I mean, okay, so what do, what's, what do, I, do I bring anything new to the table, you know, or is that just the same old? And with the Arctic, you know, now we, I, when doing research, I, I read this really cool um, statement by, by Lassie Heininen, who said, the Arctic geopolitics comes and goes in waves, you know, and now we see a new I, think I would say a new wave in Arctic geopolitics, you know, because of China. And now everything is, it's not about, you know, Arctic anarchy anymore, anymore but it's now again like, oh, how the Arctic is such a geopolitical arena, an emerging geopolitical arena. And, you know, maybe it's true or not, but uh, maybe it's just another wave. And um, 
we can only do more and more research, deeper research, uh, to actually, you know, figure out if that's true or not, but not always, you know, right? Same old op-eds uh, on that topic. So, um, but again, that's an individual decision and some would argue, yeah, research needs to be more active, needs to have a more activist, we call it a more activism approach and some others would argue no, um, but yeah. That sounds super interesting and inspiring, Andy. Um, we, tr we try to be mindful of your time here, so I think we'll wrap up. Uh, thank you for such a great conversation. We hope we've inspired many new researchers to dig in into, uh, I guess, a fascinating world of, of EU Arctic relations. And thank you so, so much for joining us. Can I say one more thing? Is, is that possible? Sure, sure. I just wanted to um, to thank you guys for you know creating that podcast and to all the few people that will actually listen to this podcast. Um, keep in mind that the Arctic Institute is is run by young people, and I'm even still considering myself young. But it, it's it's run by young people, and it is for young people. So if, if you have a cool idea um, you want to have published, or you have something interesting to say about the Arctic. Uh, reach out to us at the Arctic Institute and, you know, um, try to get it published and be a, a platform for young people to publish their thoughts on, on Arctic issues, on anything Arctic related. So I think that's and the post podcast is where one idea to get more and more young people involved. So, thanks, guys. Thank you, Andy. I guess we feel flattered. <laughs> And we'll keep on our work for sure.